All righty then, we are on. Well, um, a few weeks ago, I preached a, a message on come and drink. And uh, in that message, we talked about the importance of drinking in of the right water. If we don't drink in of the living water, we can't expect life to flow out of us. If we're drinking in of garbage and all kinds of junk, then guess what? That's what's going to flow out. But no one in this place tonight's been drinking the wrong water, right? We're drinking in of the living water. And I just want to start tonight. We're going to start in John chapter 7. Just by way of review for a few minutes here. John chapter 7 verse 37 and 38. But tonight the title of this message is let the water boil. Let the water boil. Those rivers on the inside of us need to be bubbling up and boiling out of us. Amen. But Jesus said this here in John 7:37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Is anybody thirsty? How many in here tonight want more of Jesus? You say, Lord, I've tasted and I know that you're good. I've been born again. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But we can always drink in of more. And I'm glad that this verse of Scripture doesn't say that Jesus said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and think. It's not a thinking process. We're born again in our spirit. Then our mind does get renewed. But Jesus said, Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, everybody say it together, rivers of living water. What we have on the inside of us is the life of God. And that's what hurting, dying humanity needs. They need to be able to come to Jesus, but they also need to be able to come to people that are filled with him and drink in of the living water. And anyway, Jesus, of course, was speaking here. And um, I find it interesting in this same passage. Let's look at verse 38 out of the Amplified. He's telling us that if we're thirsty, come and drink. There's one river. The, the, uh, Rev. John, the apostle, over in the book of Revelation, he describes it as the river of life. And the reason that it's named life is that's what it is. It's the pure life of God. And he says here, come to me and drink out of this one river. But here in uh, the Amplified, he says, he who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, From his innermost being shall flow continuously. I like that. Everybody say continuously. Springs and rivers of living water. So we drink in of one river. But then that river flows out of us. In various forms, it's rivers that flow out. When you drink in of the things of God and of the Spirit of God, guess what? There's a river that will flow out of you to your family. There's a river that will flow out of you even to bring life to your physical body. There's a river that will flow out of you and give you wisdom in your career. There's a river that will flow out of us and should be flowing out of us that will give us utterance to pray for 
the lost. So, and you know what we're talking about tonight is one of the ways that these rivers flow out of us is through prayer. And we've been calling some corporate prayer meetings. Like Pastor said, make sure you make it a priority to get here on Wednesday night. And when we have these various corporate prayer meetings, because we are expecting the river of life to flow to people that do not know the Lord. Do you know anybody that needs Jesus? Is there anyone that you work with? Is there a family member? Maybe they've known the Lord at one time and they're not walking with him. Or they've never known him. Jesus said out of our belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And when people are thirsty, they should be able to come to us and say, I know that you have the answer because you know Jesus. Now listen to this statement here. Water can be still, it can be stagnant, it can be full of yucky stuff. Or it can be clean, it can be pure, it can be a powerful life-giving force. We don't want to drink yucky stuff in the natural And we don't want to drink in of yucky stuff spiritually because that life-giving force needs to flow out of us. But there's another interesting thing about water. Water can be cold or water can be hot. And in reference to what we're preaching tonight, the water on the inside of us needs to be boiling. It needs to be red hot. Didn't Jesus say he doesn't want us to be cold? He doesn't want us to be lukewarm? He wants us to be red hot. And if we've lost that zeal, then we need to get it back. And we can get it back. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit, that fire. How many of you in here are filled with the Holy Ghost? Filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, fire, fire. And you know, if you've been around very long, I say it like this. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and far, far, far. And that fire ought to stir something up on the inside of us. That fire is what causes that water to boil and to flow out of us. It's an interesting passage of Scripture over in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1 and 2. Tonight, by way of review, really to many of you in here, we're, we're talking about these things. But I just had it so strong in my heart that we need to be stirred up. We need to be reminded of these things. It is so easy to let our zeal and our passion slip. It's so easy to get complacent in our walk with God. But we need to, we need to by the power of the Holy Spirit, be rekindled. And let that fire, that flame on the inside of us be fanned. And that's what I'm believing will begin tonight in our hearts. And it's not any, it may not be even anything that I say, but I believe the Spirit of God is going to deal with us. And He's going to help us. Isaiah 64 verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Verse 2, as the fire burns brushwood, as fire causes the water to boil. That's what we're centering in on tonight. As fire causes the water to boil. 
You can never, ever get boiling water in the natural without some form of heat. You can sit there all day with a pot of water and try to use your faith and say, boil, boil. I command you to boil in Jesus' name. But unless there's an element of fire, an element of heat, that water will never boil. And really, I believe that's symbolic of when we get born again, it's wonderful. We have a well of living water on the inside of us. But I really believe, according to the Word of God, it takes the touch of the Holy Spirit. It takes the fire of the Holy Spirit to cause that well to begin to bubble up and to cause it to boil and then to come out in forms of rivers boiling out of us. So it goes on, it says, as fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. This is talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. It's the fire that makes the rivers on the inside of us boil. And you know what? When that happens, you, we ought to be like the prophet of old when he said it was like fire. Shut up in my bones and I could not keep it to myself. Everybody probably had a different experience when they got filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. I was only 11 years old, but when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and fire at a youth camp in the Arbuckle Mountains of southern Oklahoma, it, something happened to me. I've always been pretty outgoing, but I'm telling you, it was like a tiger got in my tank. And I was like, ah, give me the world. They need to know Jesus. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth as a kid living in a little town in Oklahoma. But it was like fire came on the inside of me and it was shut up in my bones and I could not keep it to myself. Maybe you didn't become a wild-eyed Pentecostal like I did. But we ought to have all had some sort of ump that happened. Fire! Fire! Fire does something to a person. I remember this story that uh, Pastor Mark Brzee told years ago. Actually, I think his wife was telling it. They had gone out on a special date night. It was an anniversary, a special anniversary. And you know, sometimes when you want to treat your wife to a romantic dinner, I don't know why the restaurants are always dark. I'm not sure. But anyway, this restaurant was real, real dark. And it was, they had these candles on the table. And she happened to, it was in the wintertime, happened to be wearing this real pretty sweater with a lot of fringe hanging down on it. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm this way, and my husband's this way too. If he orders something that I want, and it looks good, I don't even ask. I'm just like, give me a bite of that. And particularly if it's a dessert, you know, we can say, no, I don't want a dessert, but as soon as it comes, mm, I think I'll have a bite. So... This happened in this restaurant. Mark ordered something and Janet decided, "Mm, that looks good. I think I want a bite of that. So she reaches over to get something off of his plate. And in the process, the fringe on her sweater got ignited by the candle on the table. And she kind of hit it and it was just flaming. And after a while, she stood up and was like, I'm on fire! Mark, I'm on fire! Hitting her arm and, and taking the napkin. I'm on fire! And Mark had the audacity to say, honey, sit down. This is a nice restaurant. And she screamed, you're not the one on fire. You, when you're the one on fire, it's hard to be quiet. 
It's hard to sit down nicely in the restaurant and just pat your arm if you're on fire. And that's the way we ought to be about the things of God. When we're the one on fire, whoo! It's hard to keep it to myself. Hallelujah. It's hard not to share what Jesus has done. We're to be a witness. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1? You shall be endued with power from on high when you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And one of the main things is going to be you're going to be witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're going to be witnesses unto me. What's going to cause them to become a witness? The Holy Ghost and fire. If you lost your zeal, if you've lost your desire to be a witness, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd, but I believe somebody's going to listen to this and go, yeah, that's me, I'm getting my fire back. Amen? We all ought to say, yes, I'm getting my fire back. I love this. There's a couple of books that I really enjoy reading, and I just picked a couple of them up yesterday again. They're by a man by the name of Wesley Duell, and he's an elderly guy now if he's even still alive, but he wrote a couple of books. One of them was called Revival Fire, and he chronicles all the different revivals in the United States and, and, and in Europe. And then another one is called A Blaze for God. And I want to read something that he said in this book, A Blaze for God. He said, God created our spirits flammable. We are spiritually combustible. (laughs) Our nature is created to be ablaze by the Spirit. We're created in the likeness and image of God. Doesn't the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, For our God is what? He is a consuming fire. So if we're created in His likeness and in His image, we ought to have something burning on the inside of us. We ought to have that zeal rising up on the inside of us. We ought to be burning and aglow with the Spirit of God. Another thing that uh, Wesley Duell said, he said, Man has always been fascinated and attracted to fire, even in the natural. If I were asked you to admit it, how many times have you ever heard a fire truck or seen a fire truck? And I know particularly in a smaller community, we used to do this. If we were in a town and saw a fire, the fire truck, it was a big deal. Everybody turned around, stopped what they were doing, and followed the fire truck. It's just in us. We're fascinated by fire. Well, if that's in us naturally, how much more spiritually? People want to know that God is alive. People want to know that his power is real. They want to see the glory of God in manifestation. They want to know that the fire of God will come into a body and burn sickness and disease out of of it. They want to know that the fire of God can come on a person's life and destroy yokes. And remove burdens. Hallelujah. 
The fire of God can burn off hindrances. Get rid of unnecessary weights. It can consume sin and impurities. That's what the fire of God is meant to do in our lives. You may have heard this. We've said it before. Our W. Shemboth, he was a fiery preacher. We always said that my brother Ricky was like a little Shamboth Jr. And he really is. Face gets all red. I think his hair gets redder and stands up taller when he starts preaching. But R.W. Shambach, he said this. He said, it is time to get the fire out of the kitchen, cooking chicken for the bishop, and get the fire back in the pulpit, get the fire back in the pew. Now, there's nothing wrong with cooking chicken for the bishop, but we don't just need fire in the kitchen. We need fire in our services. He also said this. He said this. He said, get on fire and people will come and watch you burn. He said that to some preachers. Get on fire. And people will come and watch you burn. Again, out of this book, uh, A Blaze for God, he gets this example. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Whitfield. George Whitfield came from England, I believe it was, or Wells, in the 1700s. He came to America. He was known for his part in the great awakening of the 1730s. He preached to masses on the East Coast at the age of 22 years of old. And it was, he was known for this. He was known as the Great Awakener. And he also was known as this, the Firebringer. I like that. I think I'd like to be known as the Firebringer. Woo! Wouldn't that be good everywhere you went? And they said, oh, here comes that person full of fire. Hallelujah. I'm glad my mom named me Brenda. You know, at first I thought, that's not a great name. But you know what? Brenda means fiery one. It means enthusiastic one. So here comes the firebringer, folks. Woo! Hallelujah. So he was known as that. Now, you may not have heard of George Whitfield, but have you heard of Benjamin Franklin? Well, Benjamin Franklin is the one (laughs) who invented the lightning. He didn't invent lightning, but he... (laughs) Electricity or whatever it was, what the lightning rod. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. We'll get you want your history lesson. Anyway, Benjamin Franklin went out there and played in the lightning quite a bit. Okay, so this is what he said. Benjamin Franklin confessed that he often went to hear George Whitfield preach because he could watch him burn before his very eyes. Maybe he got the idea of the lightning rod because George may have looked like he had a hold of something. He had a hold of the fire of God. George had a hold of the prayer, the power line. And it could have inspired Benjamin Franklin to do what he did. Hallelujah. God wants us to burn bright for him. Whether in the pulpit, in the pew, at home or on the job. We are to shine. We are to glow. We are to burn. We've been quoting this already, but let's look at Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 11. I want to read that out of the Amplified. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor 
Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Weymouth's translation says this, have your spirit aglow. Goodspeed says this, be on fire with the Spirit. As the church of the living God, we should be glowing in the dark. Glowing in the dark. We are not here to magnify the devil, but you would have to be dumb or dishonest or something not to know that darkness is on the rise and darkness is around us. But you know what? Light always trumps darkness. Light always dispels the darkness. This room can be pitch black and someone come in, PT come in and turn on the lights. And the darkness in this room can't say, I'm not leaving. I was here first. I am not leaving. That's the same as it is in the realm of the spirit. Darkness can never say, I am not leaving. When light shows up on the scene, you and I are the light of the world. We're called to be aglow and burning with the spirit. The water of life on the inside of us is supposed to be boiling and bubbling out of us, standing up, causing us to stand out in dark places. Then he said that we are to be aglow. We are to be passionate people, passionate about our job. Our job is to be a reconciling. A reconciliator. Our job is to be an ambassador to represent the kingdom of heaven. There's no higher calling. There's no higher position than to be raised up together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. We ought to be passionate about what we are assigned to do. We have an assignment. We have a calling. And it's to represent Him. It's to be aglow and burning with Him. Never lagging in zeal. Another quote from this book. He said, This Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it is this, it's the Holy Spirit, wants to revive us. He wants to fill us with an abundance of life. Love, zeal, and set us aglow so that we manifest, I like how I said this, the vibrant, the radiant life of God. Be radiant, be vibrant, be aglow with the spirit of the living God. Then he goes on to say this, we're not to be tired, weak, worn out, passionately. Passionless people. A passionless Christianity will not put out the fires of hell. The best way to fight a raging forest fire is with fire. Did you know that? That's what they do a lot of times when a forest fire is raging. They go and set another fire to stop it. Well, the the hell fires may be raging, but the fire of God is greater. Our God is a consuming fire, and His fire will put out any fires of hell 
but we got to be fire starters. We got to light fires in dark places. Amen. The fire of God on the inside of us, it's way greater than the devil, the fires that the devil tries to ignite. In this fire that Jesus put on the inside of us, it has many purposes. One of the things that it will do is it will swallow up impurities. It will get rid of things that try to attach themselves to us. If you were here last week, we preached on What's trying to stick to you? What's trying to stick to you? And I'm going to just tell you this story again because I like it. I like talking about Olivia, our little granddaughter. It's just down there visiting her. She'll turn five in April. But phenomenal wisdom came out of her mouth. She was telling me a story. Grammy, she says, there's this little girl at my preschool, my Christian preschool, and she's mean. She does ugly things, and she tries to get everybody in trouble. And I said, well, you know, Olivia, that's not how Jesus wants us to act. Jesus doesn't want us to act that way. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to be nice. He wants us to be kind. She's pretty dramatic. I don't know where she could have gotten that, but she's like, I know, Grammy. And she's like... He took our sins for us. He took that away from us. And then she goes, except for me as they're sticking to her. She had the revelation that this little girl's sins were sticking to her. They could see them. They could see that she was mean and she was ugly and this stuff was trying to stick to her. And you know, the devil will do that. The Bible talks about don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We've been delivered. We've been set free from the old man. But there are things of the old life that will try to stick to us. Anybody ever had any hatred try to stick to you or anger or bitterness or resentment? Or, you know, there's a big thing that the enemy tries to stick on us. And that would be a thing of condemnation. You're not any good. You're worth nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be able to do anything for God. Shake that thing off. Shake it off. When the Apostle Paul on that island where they were shipwrecked and that serpent came out of the fire and attached itself to him, that poisonous serpent, what does the Bible say he did? He shook it off and he shook it off into the fire. And that's what we're to do with those lies that the enemy tries to bring and those things from our past that try to cling to us and hold us captive and pull us down. Shake it off. And I find it interesting that he shook it off into the fire. That's what we're supposed to do. Don't let those things stick to you. We are at a crucial time in history. It's critical for our nation. It's critical for the church. I heard Patsy Caminetti, one of our dear friends, she said this, the best way to pray for our nation is to pray for the church. Pray that the church will stop being passive and complacent and dead and not on fire. If the church will rise up, arise and shine. 
for your light is come. If the church will stir themselves up and be aglow and burning with the Spirit, it will make a difference in our nation. If the church is complacent, if the church is lukewarm, if the church doesn't care that people are going to hell, if the church doesn't pray for our nation and for our government, change can't happen. But you know that there are so many people that don't pray. There are so many people that don't read their word. Why? They've lost their zeal. They've lost their passion. But we can pray that that will be stirred up on the inside of us. Our Christian lives, our prayer lives, our church services ought to be full of power, full of life. We ought to be allowing that living water on the inside of us to flow out in various forms. It's a crucial time for our nation. Brother Hagin said this. Years ago, he prophesied this about the last great move of God. He said this. It's going to be fueled by prayer, fired by the Spirit, and ignited with the glory. Fueled by prayer. We got to pray, folks. We have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Fueled by prayer. Fired by the Spirit. We're talking about let the waters boil. Let the Holy Ghost and fire be rekindled on the inside of us. Fueled by prayer. Fired by the Spirit. And ignited with the glory. That's what we're in store for. That's what we are expecting to see come to pass. Before he went home to be with the Lord, back in 2004, Brother Old Roberts had a visitation from the Lord concerning the last days as well. And one of the things that he was instructed to do in his latter years, he spent a lot of time pouring into the lives of ministers. He'd have them come and even just visit him at his home when he wasn't out traveling anymore so he could impart into ministers. And one of the things that the Lord said to him was he said, tell my ministers, it's time for my preachers, my ministers to preach with fire in their bellies. It's time for my preachers to minister with fire in their bellies. That does not mean that every service is going to be a Holy Ghost hoedown. It doesn't mean, you know, that every time we're going to be running around the the building. But it does mean that we should expect and contend for the anointing and for the unction. There's different purposes. There's different plans for every service. But we can always expect to have the anointing and the unction, the fire of God that removes burdens and destroys yokes. As I was rehearsing these things that God spoke to Brother Hagen and to all Roberts, I just thought on the inside of me, well, if it's time for the ministers to preach with fire in their belly... Wouldn't it stand to reason that it's time for the believers, the believers, how many of you are believers, to live with the rivers of living water boiling out of them in a powerful force, in a powerful river. It's time for us to pray for ministers and to pray 
for the church that that fire on the inside, that passion would be rekindled. That first love would be restored. John, didn't he say that over in Revelation? I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. It's so easy to do. Life happens. Schedules get busy. There's pulls and there's demands on all of our time and in all of our lives. But we can purpose. We can be determined. It ought to be my determined purpose that I will know Him. And I will know the power of His resurrection. And I will stay stirred up on the inside of me. I am not going to let the things of God slip. I am not going to allow other people's time and their schedule and everything else to take that place. Do Him in my heart. One last scripture and then we're going to pray tonight. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 in the Amplified Version. That is why I would remind you. That's what I'm doing tonight. By the Spirit of God. Reminding all of us. Again, I know for many of you, this is a watering time. You've heard these things. But we all need to be reminded. That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame. Keep burning the gracious gift of God. Every one of us have giftings. Every one of us have impartations by the Spirit of God. We've all been given a supply. And we are the caretaker of it. And he said, I want you to understand. You've got to rekindle the embers. You have to fan the flame and keep burning. The gracious gift of God. The inner fire. The inner fire. That is in you by the means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. I'm here to remind you of these things. Rekindle the embers. Fan the flame. It might feel like that fire that was once burning, a bonfire on the inside of you is just smoldering. But even if it's smoldering, you can fan it. You can blow on it. The Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit will blow on those embers and cause that to be reunited. Stir up, keep burning. Let the waters boil. That inner fire ignited. How do we do this? One of the best ways to do it is to pray and to pray much in the Holy Ghost. I know there are people here that probably are not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. And all I'm asking you is to be open and just say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. In this day and in this hour, folks, to be aglow and burning with the Spirit, we must be filled with the Spirit. If you've not yet received that wonderful, wonderful experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and fire, you can be. By praying much in the Holy Spirit. If you've lost your first love, we've all been there. But that zeal and that passion to serve Jesus, it can be rekindled if you want it to be. If you've lost your compassion for the lost, 
it can be stirred. It's so easy to look at people on the freeway as a nuisance and to look at traffic as, ah, a bother. But many times when I begin to get that attitude, the Lord will remind me, don't curse your harvest. Those people in that car, all that traffic, that's your harvest. Don't curse them. Let the compassion of Jesus well up on the inside of you. I think when you've been in church for a long time, you forget how people really are living in this day and age and what it's like to be without Christ. To be without Christ, people are miserable. You know that a lot of the people that I witness to are either at the cosmetic counter in Macy's or at the salon or at the nail place. But you know, that's, that's one of my harvest fields. I was just in there this week talking to the gal that was doing my nails and I just, I'm always looking for an entrance to talk to her. I said, have you seen that Son of God movie? Have you heard about that Son of God movie? We just forget that people don't know things. She said to me, now the Son of God, who is that? And I said, Jesus. She said, really? That's who Jesus is? That's who, that's who he is? Did not even know, and I've talked to her on numerous times about the Lord, but you know, it doesn't always click with people. Oh, so Jesus is the one that Christians say are the Son of God. And so she starts asking me, well, what do Catholics believe? What do Christians believe? I mean, you know, people are hungry. And often they just don't know. And how are they going to know unless we tell them? How's their heart going to be softened unless we pray? How are their eyes going to be open unless we plead their case that they will know Jesus? So if we've lost our compassion for the lost, it can be stirred. If we've lost our desire to pray, that flame can be fanned. i got a question for you. Are you willing to be willing? Do you desire to be stirred? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to reignite fire, fire and passion in your heart? How many of you would agree that we need revival? We need revival in the body of Christ. Our prayer ought to be Psalms 85, 6. It says, Oh Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. Evangelism really is for the lost. Revival is for the saints. But when the saints are revived and have a zeal for the Lord, we'll have evangelism. Now, in closing, let me just tell you this. I love this too. This is from Charles Finney. This is a little bit different for me. I don't usually not up here quoting a lot of stuff, but it just seemed right tonight, just to remind you and to read some of these things to you. Charles Finney, many of you know who he was. He was mightily used of God in the 1850s, late 1800s here in the United States of America and around the world. But in the many revivals that he participated in, he came up with some revival characteristics that he saw happening in every revival he was a part of. And one, number one, he said there is always a prevalence of a mighty spirit 
of prevailing prayer. God moves where he is welcomed. God shows up when he's asked. He shows himself mighty and strong in our lives. You know, God, even though he's sovereign, he doesn't just show up and he doesn't just say, I'm going to make you do this and do that and do that. No, he's looking on the inside in our hearts. He's looking for a door. He's looking for an entrance. Will you open that door? Will you say, come in, Lord. Do what you want to do in my life. And it's the same. we got to pray. So if we want to have revival, there has to be a prevalence, prevalence of a mighty spirit, a prevailing prayer. And then this would be good. An overwhelming conviction of sin. Don't want to camp there, but wouldn't it be something if people really shunned sin and wrongdoing and wanted to live right and wanted to please the Lord? A sudden and powerful conversion to Christ. We need some suddenlies where people are suddenly translated out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of light. And every time I read that, I'm saying, Lord, give us some notable salvations. Give us some of the worst drug dealers. Give us some of the most self-righteous, the self-made men and millionaires or whatever. Give us some suddenly, some notable miracles, some notable salvations. And then listen to this. A great love and an abounding joy of the converts. And then I always chuckle when I read this one. I'm going to read this one just for you, Rod, because I know where you pastor. Increased intelligence and stability of the converts. Wouldn't that be good if all your members all, all of a sudden, their IQ increased? No, I'm just picking on him. Increased intelligence and stability of the converts. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard about Ollie. The life of God on the inside of us will make us smarter. The life of God on the inside of you will change you. It will make you stable. Hallelujah. And then this one. Their great earnestness, activity, and usefulness in their prayers and labors for others. Their great earnestness. Their great desire... To serve the Lord. That's scriptural. Hallelujah. That's what we're contending for. That's what we're expecting. We're expecting the Holy Spirit to show up. To stir up the gift of God on the inside of us. To to rekindle and ignite our passion. To to cause that desire to pray. To be fervent. On the glow on the inside of us. Everybody stand to your feet.